0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lakemount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lakemount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. Right, everybody, grab your seats. How many are having an awesome summer? Woo! How many are having a horrible summer? Okay, just it It's like a mediocre cheer. It's like yeah, summer's all right. Summer's amazing. All right, let's get into the Word of God tonight. Uh, my name is Matt Tapley, pastor here. In case you're new, and uh, glad that you're with us tonight. We want to get into the Word of God? I want to ask you a question. This is probably what a bunch of you came wondering tonight. And so I just want to start with this. How hard is it to get into the NBA? That's probably what most people here are wondering. Well, the answer is hard. And in case you wanted more information, I researched. All right? So, bottom line is, most NBA players have freakish athleticism. Most NBA players have a 40-inch vertical minimum. Yeah, seriously. That's next level. They need the foot speed required to stay in front of people who can change direction at any second. Most of them have amazing reaction times. You ever seen those reaction tests where they drop stuff and they got to catch it? They got amazing reaction time. Got amazing hand-eye coordination. Most of them have basically kind of a sixth sense of the game. Most of them are well over six feet tall. I I went to a Raptors game a few years back, and Kyle Lowry was on the field and literally, like, field, on the court. And it literally looked like a, like a little guy, a little brother was out hanging out with his big brother and his friends. Like the other guys are just so huge. And Kyle Lowry, how, t- calls, how tall is Kyle Lowry? Anybody know? Someone's gonna Google it. Caleb's Googling it right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess 6'2. What is he? He's six flat? Oh, phew. no, i just kidding. Six feet. The guy's six feet tall. And he looked, honestly, he looked miniature next to these other guys because they're, I don't wanna exaggerate, but probably nine and a half feet tall. Um, so like, there's all these guys that are just, they're just huge, okay? So here's the odds. The odds of making the NBA, 2.9% of high school seniors that play basketball go on to play for NCAA teams, okay? 1.3% of NCAA seniors are drafted by NBA teams. 0.03% of high school seniors get drafted by NBA teams. So bottom line is, I don't want to discourage you, but if you're here with an NBA dream, it's probably not going to happen. I'm just, it's just, so let's just close in prayer and and we'll just pray for you while you cry. Okay, so the question is, what if someone really, really, really wants to be in the NBA, but they don't have those skills that I'm talking about? What if, what if they really, really want to be in the NBA? Well, the bottom line is, they have to what? They have to make the cut, Right? So what if what if they always had a dream though? Like what if not only did they really really want to be in the NBA, but what if they always had a dream? Like like when they were little and they could barely say a word and it was like, you know, say mama, say dada and they're like basketball. Right? Like what if what if they've had a dream their whole life? Well, bottom line is they just have to make the cut. What if what if they had a jersey? What if they had a, like a Toronto Raptors jersey with their name on it? Well, they just look like a player, but they still have to make a cut, right? They still have to, they might just like show up to a game. Hey, guys, I'm here. (laughs) Call security, right? Um, So really, I don't want to talk to you about the NBA tonight, but, but what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus? And most people think, I would say most people think to be a disciple, they would basically, I think most people think in order to be a disciple, I just have to want to be on the team, and if I want to be on the team, I'm on the team. I think most people think that, like, oh, like, I just, you know, I, I just, I, I'm a disciple because I want to be a disciple. Um, and I think that that might bear a little bit of scrutiny. So I want you to take your Bibles or take your cell phones and only use them as Bibles, please. Okay, for the next few minutes together, and I want to go to Luke chapter 14, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick off a series tonight on. Disciple. So, if you're looking for a title for the message tonight, it's disciple, and we're going to be we're going to be looking at dis, the the discipleship process, what it means to be a disciple, over the next little while, based on uh, not my opinions, not based on you know some book I've read, not based on what seems to pass for uh, discipleship uh, in any number of given settings, but what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at God's word. And hear what Jesus has to say. Um, by show of hands, how many think Jesus knows what it takes to be a disciple? Okay, so that's pretty much all of us. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, you're wrong. So, <laughs> um, like, Jesus is the one who determines what a disciple is. Like, that, he's the one who's like, this is what it takes to be on the team. And so, uh, if we want to be on the team, I think we should listen to him. We should just take a look at what Jesus says. And so we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. And then we're going to zero in on verse 25. And again, over the next little while, we're going, to, we're going to unpack these words of Jesus. And my prayer tonight is that you would hear this not as opinion, but again, sometimes some Bibles have the words of Jesus in red letters. And the idea of that is to basically say like, you know, Jesus, is he said this stuff out loud. The whole Bible is God's word. But what I want you to get tonight is... As we're digging into disciple, what it means to be a disciple. That means I want to be on Jesus' team. If you want to define that for yourself. What does it take to make the cut to be on Jesus' team? Let's let's dig into what he says. And just make this baseline agreement tonight. This baseline assumption that Jesus is right. Okay? Let's just start there. So I could argue with Jesus. But here's what I found: when I argue with Jesus, I always lose. Okay, so I'm going to start with that Jesus is right. Who's with me? The Jesus is right. So what we're going to start with Jesus is right. What he is saying is his standard to make the cut is what I need to apply myself to, even if it offends me, even if it's a challenge to me. Uh, I want to. I want to be on the team, so I want to take him. At his word. This is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, So this is Jesus wanting to win over the crowd and become a celebrity preacher. No, it's not. You guys okay? I had in-ears in tonight, so I can't tell if you're being quiet or if I just had the music too loud in my ears. Uh, You guys okay? Is everyone good? Okay. So this, uh, that was a joke. Like, Jesus is not trying to be a celebrity preacher, just in case you're wondering. So, okay, there we go. Like, like Jesus, you know, everyone's like, I want to make Jesus famous. Jesus wasn't trying to be famous while he was here. Okay, so so this is Jesus speaking to the crowd, and he's filtering the crowd. And he's saying, okay, here's, here's what you need to know. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Okay, so we're starting with the easy stuff then. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish, everyone will see it and will ridicule him saying, this guy began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and look for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you does not give up his everything. Everything that he has, he cannot be my disciple. In the same way, this is verse 33, if any of you does not give up everything he has, you cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for for the manure heap. It's thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. All right. How many have read these verses before? Okay. How many have ever heard a sermon on this before? Okay. Sometimes... What we end up with in our discipleship, if we're not careful, we can have a caricature of Jesus that isn't accurate. And we'll know that we have a character of Jesus that isn't accurate when we read the words of Jesus and they offend us and we skip over them. That means I've got an idea of who I want Jesus to be, that I I want Jesus to be something other than he is. And so stuff that he says that offends me, I just skip right along and I move to something else. And that's just making God in my own image, which doesn't work. And so Jesus sets the bar for discipleship. Like he doesn't he doesn't do what most of us would do if we were trying to get people to join our team. Like he's not like, hey, come and join my team and I'll give you a free iPad. You know, join join my team and, and enter for a draw to get AirPods. AirPod Pro, AirPods Pro, AirPods Pro. AirPod Pro. AirPod Pros, I don't understand, is it AirPods Pro or AirPod Pros? There's two, are they AirPods Pro or AirPod Pros? AirPod Pros, I don't think so, Google it, I think it's AirPods Pro. Like, I think Apple's trying to reinvent the English language, somebody Google it, is it AirPods Pro or AirPod Pros? AirPods Pro, what is that? I got my AirPods Pro. What, what do you mean? I'm Learning language while I work at the Apple store. Okay. Most of us, if we're trying to build a team, we're trying to incentivize. And if we're paying attention to the Jesus of Scripture, which we all agreed we are, which we all agreed we want to be on the team, which we all agreed we don't want to have just our ideas about him. We want to take him at his word. If we pay attention to Jesus, he's not selling hard at all. In fact, he's like, it's going to be hard. And, everyone's, you know, we skip past that because, we're, you know, we're Canadian. We're like, hard? <laughs> Man, I've been through hardship. Do you know a couple of years ago I had to wear a mask everywhere? <laughs> Anyways, so the point is we think things are hard that really aren't hard. And Jesus is calling us, and he sets the bar high. Jesus makes several strong statements here, and we're going to dig into them because we want to be like him, and we want to be on the team. He makes several strong statements here about the requirements. Now, these are not suggestions. Because it's Jesus and it's his team, when he says this is what it takes to be on the team, that's what goes. Like if the Raptors were like, hey, the first 10 guys that show up, you're on our team, that's what would show up to the the Raptors, and it would be like, okay, great, we're going to lose, right? If that was the standard. Whatever the standard of any team is, this is what it takes to be on the team, then that's what what it takes to be on the team. Jesus is saying, here's the requirements. So we could skip past it, or we could get serious. I think we should get serious. So let's take Jesus at his word. He provides some negative criteria, and then he says several times, we just read it, several times he goes, this or that kind of person can't be my disciple. So what does that mean? Like, Like, write it down, think about it. I'm not going to give you the answer. What does it mean when Jesus says, uh, this kind of person can't be my disciple? What does that mean? I don't know, wrestle with it. What what what, what does it mean? What does it mean if someone thinks they're his disciple, but he says, well, you, you can't be if you're doing that? I guess we'll have to like lean lean in pretty hard and, and take him at his word. I just... I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy with the Raptors jersey in a dream and and think that I'm on the team just because I because I want to be. I, I want to take him at his word. So can I be a disciple on my own terms? No. That would make me the master. That would make him my servant. So if I was saying to him, here's how I want discipleship to look, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not on your team. You're joining my team. Oh, well, do I have to do it your way? Spoiler alert, Yes. Yes, we, we have to we have to do it his way. Because we use words in church that we don't use anywhere else. We say, Jesus is Lord. And we're like, amen, Jesus is Lord. But we don't use that word anywhere else. Like, it's not like you go to work at McDonald's or the watering can and you say, yeah, I just found out she doesn't work at McDonald's anymore. So now it's watering can jokes. Okay. And you don't say, you know, you're not, you're not you don't meet your new boss and be like, hello, my Lord. You know, like. Like, you're you're not from the 1500s in England. Yes, my Lord, I will fetch the water basket. Water basket? Do you have water baskets? I don't know. Um, we don't call people in leadership Lord. And I'm not proposing that we bring that back because it would probably be weird. But the problem is, is there's a disconnect in our vocabulary that it's completely Jesus-oriented, which sounds worshipful, but it disconnects from what it should impact you When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, you're my boss. When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, you're in charge. Like whatever figure of speech denotes absolute leadership in your life, that's what you mean when you say Lord. Jesus is Lord means like you call the shots. Like whatever words will help you get it, that's what lordship means. So when the Lord, when the boss you know when the, I don't know when the, when the CEO, you know, when the general manager, like whatever. When the boss speaks, and says, "Work starts at six, When you show up up at nine, you're not on the team. Boss is like, "Thanks for coming. We started three hours ago. You can talk to HR. You don't work here anymore." <laughs> but what if I really want to and I have a dream? That's not how it works. So we say Lord and we disconnect from boss. And 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 don't misunderstand I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus really in 2023. Maybe that might help us. And I think the starting point is lordship. The starting point is headship. The starting point is not even, like, boss doesn't even fully cut it because we got all these workers' rights and all this stuff. But, like, when we talk about Jesus as Lord or Jesus as King, like, like, you know, and even our exposure to a monarchy. Like, our exposure to the British monarchy is like, it's just someone on the money. Like, it's just, oh, you know, I guess we'll get some new coins with King Charles on it. That'll be fun. A King Charles quarter will be great. Who, 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 like, who cares? Like, there's no impact to, to the monarchy we're exposed to. But if you live in a true monarchy, there's no elections. And when the king says, um, the speed limit, the speed limit shall be 40 kilometers an hour. That's the speed limit. It's like, could we send that to committee? No. Why? I'm the king. And so even our ideas of boss we disconnect because of our culture. If we if we really want to be honest disciples, we disconnect because our culture informs the way that we think of leadership. And we think of having like worker strikes. And we we think of like well, well we're going to form a union and work will start at 9 and it's like nope because he's lord. And I think we got to start there. Because because we could try to do it our way, but, you know, I, it doesn't work. So we just want to come on his terms. So so can I be a disciple on my own terms? No. So let's let's take a look at just verse 25. That's just where we'll we'll dig in here tonight. Just starting with the easy stuff. Verse, verse 26. Did I say 25? 26. If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus talking. If anyone, raise your hand if you're anyone. Okay. That's all of us. Some of you don't know that you're anyone. You are. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, you cannot be my disciple. Okay. So just the easy stuff. Jesus is like, you just need to hate your family and your life. Some some of you are, are like, wow, I hate my life every day. My mom, hate her. My dad, dead to me. My wife and kids, what wife and kids? Who cares? Okay? It sounds crazy. If we're, if we're being honest, it sounds crazy. Can, can we just make it? sounds crazy. She's like, you want to be my You want to be on my team? You have to hate everybody that's close to you. Oh, that does not sound like the Jesus on the VeggieTales videos. Like it just doesn't. Wait, Jesus is a non vegetables videos. <laughs> Anyways. Um, this Jesus here is teaching using a tactic known as hyperbole. Everybody say hyperbole. 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 Spelled nothing like how it sounds. If you're going to sound it out, it looks like hyperbole. But it's hyperbole. Okay. What is hyperbole? Hyperbole is an exaggerated statement that's not to be taken literally. Lots of people use hyperbole. Probably everyone in this room will use hyperbole at some point. Like when you say to somebody, oh, man, it's hot, oh, huh And they're like, yeah, like a million degrees. It's not like you're like, oh, whatever, Derek. You think it's 100 times hotter than the sun right now? Like we're all getting vaporized? We're not taking Derek literally, are we? What's Derek trying to say? It's uncomfortably hot. When he's saying it's a million degrees, he's not making a scientific statement. He's saying, it's really hot, and I'm uncomfortable. You don't check him into an institution and be like, Derek needs help. <laughs> he has no idea how thermometers work. We're nowhere near a million degrees, Derek. Okay, so, so the, the, the fact is, you know, it's like, it's, the guy who says it's a million degrees, he's not being literal, even if he says literally all the time. Okay, like one of the worst hyperbole is people use literally and they don't mean literally. How did that become a thing? Like how did it become a thing that we say literally? and What we mean is figuratively. Like, oh my gosh, it's like literally a million degrees right now. You don't know, the, the words that you're using aren't actually making sense. Like if people were journaling what we're talking about. And then, like, your great-great-great-grandchildren read it. Like, it was a million degrees in 2023? How did they survive? But they said literally. I don't know why we say literally. It's like AirPods Pro. I don't get it. What we mean is figuratively. But I guess that just doesn't sound as cool. I, it's like figuratively a million degrees right now. It's like, come on, Derek, let's not speak in figures. Tell me what it literally is. A million. Okay, it's hyperbole or hyperbole, if you want to say it right. Okay, so what point is Jesus trying to make about being a disciple when he basically says you need to hate, hate everybody that's close to you? Is re- okay, here's a question. Is Jesus actually truly commanding us to hate our families? Thank you, Phil. Phil knows. Jesus is not, he's not telling us, hate your, hate your mom and dad. He's like, I read it in the Bible, right? There's people just waiting for the excuse. Like, the Bible told me to hate you, mom. I hate you, mom. I'm just trying to be a good disciple. Pastor Matt said on Monday night, I hate you. Okay. He's not, he's not being literal. Literally. Literally. <laughs> he's using hyperbole. OK, like elsewhere in Scripture, like when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said seven things as he was dying. The most excruciating form of punishment that was ever been devised. He's literally suffocating in his own fluids, bleeding out through the hands and wrists, beard plucked from his face, thorns in his head, paying for the sins of the world, bearing the excruciating reality that sin is coming into him who knew no sin. And while that's going on, he looks down at his friend John and his mom, and he's like, John, take care of my mom. Woman, behold your son. What he's saying is, John, it's your job now. Look after my mom. Yeah, but chapter and verse, he says right here in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, hate your mom. What, is Jesus a bad disciple of his own faith? It's hyperbole. Right? Like like, like the, the Bible tells us that we, Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies. So what's the deal? Christianity is like love your enemies but hate your family? <laughs> That's a weird religion. <laughs> I'm a really good Christian. It's full of people I hate. Every time I get to like somebody, I have to hate them. As soon as I build a good relationship with somebody, I just I punch them in the face just to get the ball rolling. Like, okay like Paul Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament he's like if any man doesn't look after the needs of his immediate family he's worse in God's eyes he's worse than an unbeliever so he says like you got to take care of your family so understand hyperbole Jesus is making a point so now that we've got that clear Jesus isn't literally telling you hate your mom and dad your brothers and sisters Your wife and kids, most of you don't have to worry about the wife and kids part, okay? But Jesus throws every major relationship into a category, and he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to hate all those people. We know he doesn't literally mean hate, so what is the purpose of his hyperbole? This is what he's saying. Our love for Jesus needs to be so strong. It needs to be so prominent. Our love for Jesus, your love for Jesus. Don't disconnect from this. Your love for Jesus needs to be so far out in front that it makes every other affection in your life look like hatred by contrast. Like your love for Jesus needs to be so far out there that everything else that is like, it's like inborn. Like you just love your mom. Like, I mean, if you have a bad relationship with your mom, like, just don't don't lose the message here, okay? But, like, like, you just, you love family. All things considered equal. You love family. You love your mom. You love your dad. You love your brothers. You love your sisters. You love your wife. You love your kids. Jesus takes every relationship that you could step into, and he says, if you're trying to, you know, you're like, yeah, well, I don't really like my dad. Then he's like, well, your mom. It's like, you know, well, I don't have a wife and kids. Okay, well then your brothers and sisters. Well, I don't like my brothers, and sisters. like he names every major relationship in your life. He says where you build family and community, that needs to be so trailing, so far behind in your love for me. He's saying, I if you want to be my disciple, it's got to be like me first by by a long shot. Okay? And Jesus measures our love for him. You might want to write this down. Jesus Measures our love for him in our obedience. Jesus measures your love, my love, in terms of our obedience to him. In John chapter 14, or sorry, John chapter 15, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this He says, You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I've made known to you. Okay? Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. So if we want to increase in friendship with Jesus, if we want to be on the team, if we want to be a disciple, Jesus says it starts at obedience. And he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. But you're my friends if you do what I say, that means you will never graduate in your walk from with God. You will never graduate from obedience. You'll never graduate from serving God. Like, oh, you're still serving God? Now I tell God what I want, and he just gives it to me. I've learned the secret cheat codes of prayer. And basically, I just like, God, I want a yacht. And then I get a yacht. I mean, there's some people who literally preach stuff like that. And I'm not using hyperbole. They literally do. Okay. They preach stuff like, yeah, just name what you're believing God for and just claim it. And I'm claiming a big house and I'm claiming, you know, I'm claiming it's paid off. But bless God, I'm I'm claiming a yacht. And they're just, they're naming and claiming all this stuff like God's up in heaven going, hey, you know what, you're my kid and I want to make sure you're rich and fancy. That's not the agenda of God for you in this life. And so we never graduate from serving him. In fact, what Jesus says, that friendship with him, he he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You're my friends if you do what I say. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He said, because a servant has no idea why they do what they do. But I am going to reveal to you everything that my father has told me. In other words, when we're growing in our relationship with God, we never graduate from obedience. But listen. Friendship with Jesus gives you informed motivation. Like good discipleship is just, I'm doing what Jesus tells me just because he said so. Like if you want baseline, just starter kit, how do I become a disciple of Jesus? Read the Bible, and if he says it, just do it. You don't even have to agree. You might notice there's no like consent box in the Bible where it's like this is the standard on morality. This is the standard on sexuality. This is the standard on your behavior. This is the standard on relationships. This is, and it's not like if you agree, check here. If not, choose your own adventure and find another way that you would like to express discipleship. It's all in. So I just actually, I sign on. When I say yes to Jesus, I sign on to him as the monarch, the king of my life. I sign on. And I agree to do what he says just because he says. And then what happens? The longer I do that, the more I grow in relationship with him. As I grow in relationship with him, here's what he said to his disciples. And by faith, he says it to you and me. You're my friends if you continue doing what I say. But listen to me. A servant doesn't really know why they're doing what they're doing. But I'm going to begin to give you my heart for the standard. Some of you are struggling in your discipleship because you're arguing with God about stuff that really, there's no argument to be made. But I don't feel like it. But that's not an argument that counts, like eternally speaking. Like if we want to go the distance, it might cost us something, just a thought. Like it might actually cause, I was preaching this yesterday, like sacrifice is actually sacrifice. We might actually have to sacrifice some things. But everyone else is doing. Yes. Now, do you want to be like everyone else? No, I want amazing results. I want to be super anointed, but I don't want to sacrifice anything. That's called being a spoiled brat. So I obey even though I don't know why the standard is the way it is, even though I might feel differently about it. I just submit. And then what happens? I start to grow in relationship with him. He's like, I'm going to start to tell you the why. I'm going to start to inform your motivation. Jesus demands first place. So when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to hate your mom, you need to hate your dad, you need to hate your brothers and your sisters, your wife and your kids. Basically, it's like, what if Jesus calls me to serve people in the slums of New Delhi and my dad forbids it? Jesus first. What if Jesus calls me to be bold in my worship and my wife is embarrassed by it? Jesus first. What if Jesus calls me to a standard of godliness over my children that the school board disagrees with? Jesus first. What if Jesus calls me to step, take a step of faith and my mom's worried? Jesus first. That's what Jesus is saying. Your obedience. He measures our love in obedience. And so he's saying, when he's saying, I want you to hate your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your wife, your kids. He's speaking hyperbolically. He's not saying, I really want you to hate those people. He's saying, I want your obedience to me to be so instantaneous that you're not stopping to think about, but what if my dad's upset? You're like, is that, is that like, is Jesus calling me to be a rebel? No, Jesus is calling you to go all in with him. He's not looking for a subcommittee where you're like, oh, hold on, I have to have a family meeting and discuss the practice of this. I'm not really 100% sure. My, my mom's not 100% sure. I, I You know, there's, there's some people that are concerned about like, you know, like, What's the economics of ministry anyways? Like, if I go into ministry, if I went to serve people in the slums of Delhi, like, how will I eat? And so I need to get that all figured out. And, what I, and it's like, you're, you're, you're building out these big, long plans. And by the time you can execute that plan, you're like the old lady from Titanic being like, it's been 84 years. Like, you're just, you're missing out on radical obedience, And so Jesus just starts with, hey, guess what? If you want to be on the team, it's got to be me first by a country mile. Picture it like this. I think a lot of us, when we think about priorities in our life, we think in terms of like a pyramid. Maybe you don't use the actual word picture, but we talk as though there's kind of this pyramid scheme. It's this, this like, okay, so I want to put Jesus at the top, and then then, then my, then my wife and my kids, and then, you know, other family members, and, and then some of my neighbors, no, my dog, and then some of my neighbors, and, and we, we think in terms of putting all of this stuff in some pyramid, Jesus at the top. I think a better picture is Jesus like at the center of the bullseye. I want to put Jesus in the middle of my life, and everything that concerns me radiates out from that central point. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the very middle of my life. How I make my decisions, where I'm going, my quickness to obey. I'm not taking Jesus at the top of the list, and then I'm just running a survey. What do you guys think if I went? If I obey God in missions? What if I took a year off instead of going to school and I, I went into discipleship or I joined LMI or I, I just, I, I, I followed the call of God that I was feeling in my heart. What if I just, do you guys all agree? I understand, get wisdom, get counsel, but hear me, let your yes to Jesus be all in. Do we want to be on the team? That's what he said. It's not what I said. That's what he said. He's demanding first place, highest place. So let me, let me give you an illustration of this and then we're gonna then we're gonna pray. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this prophet named Elijah who's come to the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and God says to him, Okay, Elijah, I want you to anoint a guy named Elisha to take your place. The names are so close, I don't understand. Okay. It's just like Elijah, Elisha, and then you start preaching about it. You're like, which one's Elisha, which one's Elijah? And then what you end up doing is kind of Elijah, and then, and then you're never wrong, right? You just say Elijah, and then you're like, okay, which one is he saying? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay, so anyways, God says to Elijah, okay, he's like, I want you to anoint Elisha to take your place, to be the next prophet. Okay. So he goes, First Kings 19, sorry, First Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah goes from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat. Shaphat. Okay. Uh, found Elisha, the, sh- the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he, he himself was driving the 12th pair. In other words, Elisha is, is like from a rich family. 12 yoke of oxen, and he's 12, driving the 12th pair. His family's got lots of money. Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. His cloak is a symbol of his mantle, the anointing. You're going to be the next prophet. And so it wasn't just like, hey, here's my jacket. It was, here's the mantle of what I walk in, you're going to walk in. I'm about to depart, you're next. And so this, is, this would be like responding to an altar call and someone lays hands on you and says, I am going to mentor you. I'm going to walk with you. You're going to walk with me. What's on my life is going to get onto your life and you're going to begin to grow. It's it's discipleship. You're going to be my disciple and you're going to grow in what I walk in. This is what Elijah does to Elisha. So he throws his cloak around him and Elisha then left his ox and he runs after Elijah. So it's kind of a weird scene. Elijah just shows up. Now, if you read between the lines, this is the end of Elijah's life and he's like legitimately depressed. Like he wants to die. And so God's like, okay, well first, let's Get some people to take your place, and then I'll just take you to heaven. He's like, okay. He's just like bummed about life. So if you picture this scene, Elijah shows up, okay? Elisha is at work. He's plowing a field. And Elijah just shows up, takes his jacket, throws it on and walks away. So Elisha stops plowing, and he chases after him. And he goes after him and goes, oh, he gets what's being said. Elijah doesn't even say anything. He just throws the coat on him. Hope you can figure it out, kid. And Elisha's like, yes, I know what this is. So he goes, let me go back and kiss my father and mother, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? (laughs) I just think that's funny. Go back. What have I done to you? You put your mantle on me. Okay, anyways, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his disciple. Elisha understood something about the call of discipleship, and it's this. If you're going to write anything down tonight, it's this. You have to go all in. Jesus says, you have to hate your mom and your dad. Hyperbole. You have to be all in on obeying me first. Can you imagine Elisha? Goes home for supper. He sits down, and his dad's like sitting there eating. He's like, "So how was work?" Elisha's like, "Um, about that. I quit." His dad's like, "Pardon?" Puts down his cutlery. He's like, "Uh, come again?" Elisha's like, "Yeah, I quit. Also, um, I burned all the plowing equipment that you gave me." His dad's like, You did what? Yeah, I-, I-, I burned it all. Well, what did you do with the oxen? Well, you're burning the equipment. Um, I ate them. I had a massive barbecue with your equipment that you let me use. And the, the oxen that you gave me, they're dead. The plowing equipment that you gave me, it's ash. What does that mean? It means Elisha's yes to the call of discipleship was so complete that he was like, I'm gonna make it impossible to ever come back here. I'm gonna make it impossible to ever get this job back. I'm gonna make it impossible to, like, I am lighting this passage of my life, I'm lighting it on fire. Why? Because there is a burning yes in me. There's a fire in me that I never wanna go back to my old life. And there are people in this room, the struggle with your discipleship is you're trying to keep the door open on things that you know is keeping you stuck where you ought not be. And where God's calling you is a complete and total yes. And what you need to do is you need to light it up. You need to burn down your old life. You need to burn down those old things and say, you know what? I'm not going that way anymore. I'm all in on following Jesus. Jesus said, he starts out bar high. You want to come after me? If you want to be my disciple, you have to hate everybody. Meaning what? You have to have such a quick radical obedience to me. There's no conference calls. There's no committee meetings. There's no trying to make other people happy. You're not trying to walk through the list of how can I make everybody happy and still follow Jesus. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to burn the plow. I'm going to eat the oxen. I'm shutting down my old way of life, and I'm going all the way in with Jesus. The life that you long for in Jesus cannot be attained by trying to hold on to the demands of trying to make everybody happy in your life. You can't do it. Jesus knew it. You can't fully obey Jesus and make everybody in your life happy. And I'm telling you that, but I'm only repeating and echoing the words of Jesus. Someone in your life is going to be like, Oh, but you have so much potential for other things. Oh, but like, I I know you want to be a Christian and everything, but do you have to be one of those weird ones that like sweats while you worship and stuff? Like, do do you have to go to that church where the people speak languages that are like speaking tongues? Do you have to do that? Do you do you have to do you have to go all like? Do you have to do the baptism thing? Do you have to do you have to Take the communion where it's like the body and blood of Jesus. Do you have to be one of those Christians? What kind of Christian is there? I'm all in for Jesus. What if Jesus calls me somewhere that I've never conceived of before? I just want to say yes. There will be people that have something to say about it. And Jesus knew it, so he goes, I want your love for me to be so far out in front that every other affection that you have, by contrast, looks like hatred. Bow your heads with me. What if giving your life to Jesus looked like ordering your decisions and your relationships around obedience to Him first and obedience to Him only? Like what if that was your solitary consideration? Jesus, what are you asking me to do? I'm going to do it. There might be some people upset about it, though, but I'm going to do it. Jesus, what are you asking me to do? We have to be willing to not just say yes and then sleep on it. Jesus says, you want to be on the team. Say yes when I call. Say yes, go all in. You want to be on the team. You want to be my disciple. I, I want your whole heart. I want your whole life. That will impact your finances. That will impact your future. That will impact your planning. It will impact all of those relationships. Mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Wife and kids. Every major relationship in your life will be impacted. By your followership of Jesus. And Jesus is saying. Put me in the center and come after me with everything that is within you. Come after me completely. Like Elisha, burn the plow, sacrifice the oxen. Take the path of least resistance and dig a trench around it and make it impossible to take the easy way out. Jesus said. That There's this wide road that leads to destruction, but there's this narrow path that leads to life. Everybody's going on the wide path, Jesus said. Only a few find the narrow path. If we want to really be disciples, and I know in this room that's what we want. I know in this room the reason you're here on a Monday night. It's not just to put in time. The reason you're here on a Monday night isn't just to hang out with some friends. The reason you're here on a Monday night isn't just to to make an appearance or to tick a box. The reason you're here is because there's something stirring in your heart, and it's the working of the Holy Spirit. He's got His hand on you, and He's calling you. He's drawing you. He's magnetically pulling you to Himself. That's the reason you're here. And the obedience factor for every single one of us is when we stop kicking and screaming and trying to hang on to the other stuff. And we just simply say, my love for Jesus is going so far out in front. I'm willing for everyone else to have a fit, so long as I'm a pleasure to him. In this room tonight, if you would say, yeah, I am, I'm willing. I want to go all in for Jesus. I want my love for him. Maybe like, I don't even fully know what this is going to look like, but I can feel the spirit of God stirring me. I want to go all in. I want what Jesus is calling me to. I, I want every other relationship to look like hatred by contrast to how radical my love and obedience to Jesus is. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet tonight. We're going to take a moment. We're going to pray. I want to go all in. I want it to be more than just what everyone else is saying. This is me and you, Jesus. All in. All the way. No debate, no committee. I'm coming after you. you do one more thing? I want you to step up from where you are. If you stood tonight, that's true in your heart. Don't wait. I want you to come and get to this altar. Come and find a place. Get on your knees. Don't wait. These are moments. These are moments. Don't miss a moment with God. These are moments that God can speak. These are moments where I'm, I'm weighing his words. I'm weighing what he's saying. I'm, I'm taking him at his word. You're like, I can do this from my seat. I know. But you could also take a step. Inconvenience yourself. And get on your knees before a holy God. I'm t- in these moments, where we're taking Jesus at His word. The expensive words, they're costly words, the challenging words, difficult words. What would happen if, in a room like this, everybody who's on your knees, everyone who's stood, everyone who's saying, "Lord, that's me," what would happen? If this moment led to a lifestyle, what if this moment became a lifestyle of moments, a lifestyle of radical yes? What would it look like if this room was filled with people that like, oh, no, I, I don't go there. I don't do that. I'm not into that. Why? I'm all in for Jesus. What would it look like for this radical yes right here? become a lifestyle of radical yes. I want to pray for you and then I want you to I want you to press in to the place of prayer. Just just wait a moment before you begin to engage your own prayerfulness. I want to pray over you because I believe tonight that what God wants to do by his Holy Spirit is open up our ears. This this is what Jesus said at the very end of the passage that I read. He said to him who has ears to her who has ears, let him hear. There's a spiritual hearing that needs to be opened. That's more than just chapter and verse. It's revelation from the Spirit of God Himself. Right where you're kneeling, go ahead, just turn your hands over gently to the Lord. In surrender. In receiving. Father, tonight I pray that in this room, by your Holy Spirit, you'd now open up. Spiritual ears to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you as the monarch, the ruler, the uncontested, unelected chief of our souls, master of our destiny, the one who every moment of our lives you have been dropping seeds of destiny into us to confirm. The pathway that you're calling us to. You know the end from the beginning. We acknowledge you as a genius. At ordering the steps of our lives into your purpose. We break our romantic attachment. To trying to make everybody happy. And we say Jesus you're first. You're at the center. And Holy Spirit. I'm asking you now to open up our ears to hear. You know the things that are holding us back. For some of us, it's just sin. It's disobedience in the secret place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to convict us. Not only convict us, but we welcome you to empower us. To break the pattern of sin. And to live a whole new way. Holy Spirit, you know the things that are holding us back. Trying to make everybody happy. Trying to take everyone else's boxes. We acknowledge you as the unelected monarch of our souls. And now I... I I speak into this room. I speak over you. I speak into this atmosphere now in the name of Jesus. Every lying spirit be silenced. Holy Spirit of the living God, come and fall upon every young person in this room. Let us hear you. And let our discipleship move into radical, wholehearted, our entire life, obedience. Go right to the center of our heart, Jesus. Take your your place, take your throne. Come on, pray that now over yourself, Jesus. Take your throne in my heart. Take your throne in my mind. In The place where I forecast what my future is going to look like. Sit on the throne there. Where friends or family are dominating my thoughts of who I'm trying to please. Who I'm trying to fit in with. Jesus. Be the center. Be the center. And where you are, just let the spirit of God begin to speak to your heart. Thanks for listening to the Lake Mount Young Adults podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.